0: I always feel like I should be dancing after that video, Um, but I all want you to stay at Browncroft, so how are we feeling about 2024? Oh, wow, we have excited people. You might not want to stay for the rest of what I have to say, but anyways, um, you know, we come to this day with a lot of emotions, and as a pastor, I'm always kind of Googling to take the temperature You know from what did we think about 2023 to what are we thinking about 2024 came across an article by a gentleman by the name of tom standage he actually is a journalist for the economist and he listed out 10 different things that we're looking forward to for 2024. the first thing he talked about was the presidential election Some of the other things on that list was war in the Middle East. Another thing was the adoption or resistance of artificial intelligence. And why not throw in the economy in that list, too? You know, I I think that many of you are here today because you want to frame this year right. And we didn't even talk about the personal things that you go through either. You know there's diagnosis of cancer there's grief there's changes there's all these different things and at the end of the day whether it's personal or national or the world we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty and so i think many of you are here today because you want to frame this year right you want to root yourself in the presence of god to be able to experience this year no matter what it throws at you in a way that would encourage you, in a way that you can see things clearer. Today, we're going to be uh, going to Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there right now. A sermon called Eat This Book, as Rob said, where one of our habits is spend time with God, and one of the core habits within that one is the word of God. And as we think about 2024 with the uncertainty before us, or for some of you, you're like, geez, Debbie Downer over here, you know, you might be excited about this year. No matter what, God's called us to root ourselves in the uncertain, scary world by being connected to his word. As you turn into Revelation 10, I want to just kind of give you a little bit of background of this book because it's a pretty powerful book. Revelation was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. And just like us, they had experienced the uncertainty of the government, rumors of wars, economy issues. Christianity had an interesting place where there was sometimes that it was was powerful and it was a movement. Other times it was persecuted. This book has a connection to where we are now. The passage that we're looking at is uh, the writer John has a vision of an angel coming to him and Before we kind of jump around, some of you might be a little concerned because you're like, Revelation on the day before December 23rd, where are we going with this? But I think Revelation actually has more discipleship invitation to life change with Jesus than we think. I love the way Dean Fleming, who wrote about Revelation, said this. He said, Revelation seeks to equip and energize God's people to get caught up in what God is doing to bring about wholeness and redemption to the world. Instead of primarily foretelling or looking for the prophecies, Revelation calls us to live as a foretaste of the future in the here and now. So I, w- I want you to frame that as we read this passage together. Revelation 10 verses 8 through 11. Then the voice, which is the voice of an angel, that I, John, had heard from the heavens spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea in the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give this little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It'll turn your stomach sour. Some versions say bitter, but in your mouth, it'll be as sweet as honey. So I took this little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told you must prophesy again about many people's nations, languages, and kings. I want to talk about three different ways that God's word roots us in his sovereignty and his power in an uncertain world. The first point is this. Number one, God's word unsettles us. God's word unsettles us. So, you know, as we read this passage, it's unsettling that an angel would come to the writer of Revelation And speak to them. It's unsettling that there's a scroll and John now has to eat that scroll. And on top of that, it's unsettling that when John eats the scroll, it's bitter and sour. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know a ton about the Bible just to say, that's weird. (laughs) And I want to just let you know, like, it's supposed to be weird. It's supposed to be unsettling. There's a part of reading the Bible that the original readers would have been taken in this position and they would have been reading it and just looking at the different pictures of how it's weird. I think we also have to back up and look at the context of Revelation. So Revelation 1 to 3 is basically seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And during that time, John is saying things like, you're lukewarm. And that's not a compliment. What he's saying is as a church, the church was actually being warm in some areas, hot and cold in the other. And he's saying, don't be, don't be so in the middle. Don't be compromising. On the other hand of that, there was to one church, he says, you've lost your first love. These churches, these individuals were reading this passage with a bit of unsettledness. And then you go to Revelation 4 and 5, and there's this scene, this slain lamb that's on the throne. We actually sang about it this morning when we sang holy, holy, holy. It's an odd picture. If you and I were writing the Bible, we probably wouldn't talk about a lamb, first of all. Mary had a little lamb, but then a lamb that's slain. And what that picture is, is that's the picture of Jesus dying on the cross, the Savior that gave up the riches of heaven to live among us in earth, that gave himself to die. You know, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. There's this beautiful picture of revelation that the church and individuals that follow Jesus embody that. They embody the sacrifice of the lamb. They embody dying to themselves. And then we get to where we are, Revelation 6 through 11. And Revelation 10 is kind of an interlude, but Revelation 6 through 11 is a series of judgments. And for many of us, we struggle with this idea that God would judge the world. But there's two things I think that are important in understanding this context. First of all, whenever there's a catastrophe that happens, the first thing we ask for is justice. Whenever there's a crisis, whenever someone perpetrates a crime, we want justice and judgment. But the second thing is, as you read Revelation, what, what the writer of Revelation, what John is trying to paint to us, these judgments are actually invitations to the gospel, invitations to know who Jesus is. And you're like, I didn't bargain to get the whole, whole, uh, whole structure of Revelation this morning but I want you to understand this. The whole structure of Revelation, all of this is pointing to this, that God's word unsettles us. If you're reading the Bible and you're constantly feeling good about yourself, I want to lovingly say that's not what the Bible is supposed to do. You know, it's interesting. You know, we read about judgment And we talk about judgment in the sense of if someone like our enemy, if someone who doesn't vote like us, we want judgment for the people we don't like. We want grace in the gospel for the people that we do like. And I think by reading the Bible and being unsettled, we come face to face with our biases. We come face to face with our blindness. We come face to face with a God that can hold together his grace and love and justice and judgment. And we come face to face with a God that sees way more than we do. So if you're reading the Bible and it's not unsettling you, you're missing out on how God wants to change you. This picture, the the fact that it's bitter, the fact that there's, there's this angel coming, it's meant to spark us. It's meant to awaken us to see how God is moving in our lives. Let me ask you this. When was the last time the Bible unsettled you? As a discipleship team, John, our discipleship pastor, he leads our meetings, and we start by reading a passage of scripture, we pray, and then we discuss it. And usually what happens is as we discuss it, we start realizing things that unsettle us. So one of the passages that we read was Luke 15, which is the prodigal son. Jesus tells this story that this son goes to his dad and says, hey, I don't want to live under your rules. Give me my inheritance. It's better off if you're dead, anyways. Leaves, wastes all his money, ends up working for pigs, and decides to come back to his dad. So he comes back to his dad and says, Hey, I want to be a servant. And the father yells out to him, He says, My lost son is home. Let's throw a party. You're like, What's unsettling about that? Well, Jesus then goes and talks about the older brother. And this older brother that's been there this whole time, and he's been faithful. He gets up every morning, does the farming, listens to the father. He says, hey, dad, I've been here all through this time. Where's my party? And the father looks back and he says, this son that was lost is now home. You know, I think as you grow you know, as a follower of Jesus, I've been following Jesus for a long time. It's easy to relate to the prodigal son, but where I get unsettled is how often I'm like the older brother. How often I'm like, um, Hey God, when am I going to cash in? Hey God, what, don't you see what I'm doing? Like, why is that person getting this? And, and I've got this annoying spreadsheet type responsibility. Don't you see God? Don't you care? You know, there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, I'm scared and guilty about what God wants to do in my life. But then I'm also, I'm also angry. You know, I I don't have a ton of answers, but I can tell you that's how God's words unsettling me. This ugly feeling of that maybe God is up to something in my life. Maybe there's some attitudes. Maybe there's things I'm not seeing in him that I need to. What about with you? I asked the discipleship team, I asked them, I said, hey, can you just give me some of the passages that really just unsettled you this year? Let me just read some of them to you. In Matthew 23, there's a whole section where Jesus looks at religious leaders. Woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you that neglect the poor. Woe to you that neglect justice. First Corinthians 13 1 Corinthians 13.1 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. John 3.30, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. You know, one of, um, one of the teammates also brought up this passage, this woman with two mites, two pennies comes and drops them in the offering plate. And then there's these religious leaders with tons and tons of money. And Jesus says, look at that woman gave everything that she had, but you gave a tip to God, those religious leaders. Do any of those verses unsettle you? Is the Bible unsettling you? I want to encourage you today. If the Bible's not unsettling you, you're not doing something right. And I say that lovingly, and kindly. My daughter Lucy uh, didn't get the memo that bedtime is 7 45 p.m. Here we are at 9 30 at night hanging out, and um, yeah, my wife was here, made it to service today. Now, is God angry at you? Is that why he wants to unsettle you? Am I angry at my daughter Lucy because she doesn't get sleep? No, what I want for my daughter Lucy is I want her to sleep because when I talk to teachers, When I talk to therapists, when I talk to doctors, the number one way that we can help our kids be healthy is to sleep. So when I tell Lucy, hey, when you get out of your bed, I'm going to have to close your door. There's a little frustration because I'm imperfect, but there's mostly love of I want you to get sleep. I want you to do the uncomfortable things because ultimately I believe you're going to grow. And that's what the Bible is calling us to do. Number one, God's word unsettles us. Number two, God's word consumes us. Let's go back to Revelation 10. I want you to look at verses uh, 8 through 10. There's something powerful about this picture. Uh, In the Bible, scholars call this a chiastic structure, which is these verses parallel each other. So in verse 8, the angel comes to John and says, here's a scroll, eat it. It's going to taste sweet and it'll be bitter. And then the next verse, it repeats itself. John takes the scroll, eats it, it tastes sweet, and then it's bitter. And I think what that what the author is trying to do stylistically is to slow us down in this picture, to slow us down to what's happening. There's two Greek words that are really, really important. The first Greek word is this, the word for scroll is biblion. You might be wondering, hey, where did you get Bible from? from there? Well, it's actually that Greek word, the word biblion is where we get the, the word Bible from. So when we talk about our Bibles, it's from that Greek sense. But the second word, and my Greek professors are probably going to make fun of me, but "kataphage," which is the word for consume or eat. Now, sometimes if you're reading that word, it might just seem like you're having you know, a grilled cheese sandwich for lunch. But in this context, imagine getting a sheet pizza for a football team that food gets consumed. You know, you usually got to do two or three sheets of pizza. So I think the picture is, is John is getting the scroll that's God's word and he's consuming it. He's eating it. You know, I'm Italian. And like when you eat garlic, like garlic goes through your pores. This is a full like sensory experience. And on top of that, when John's called to eat this book, the two kind of ideas from there, it's going to taste as sweet as honey. That's a picture of the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God that we're talking about. But then it's as bitter or it's sour. Because there's some parts of God's word that are really, really tough. And in context of Revelation 6 through 11, the invitation of judgment, to in God's kindness, there's repentance, as he says in God's word, is that sometimes people are going to reject that. Sometimes there's hard things that we have to say. And as a church and as individuals, when we live God's word, it starts with us personally, but sometimes we have to say hard things. And beyond the hard things, we live in a world that's against God. And so John has to go and share this message. But what's even more powerful in understanding all of that is there's certain allusions to the old testament I'm just going to run through these real quick. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen through seventeen. There's a, there's a prophet and he says to eat the book. Ezekiel two eight through two three three. It says this before you speak to the people, Ezekiel, eat this book. Psalm one nineteen one o three. How sweet are your words to me? Why am I telling you all these Bible passages? I want you to see that the Bible is connected. The original readers would have read the depth of this moment. Is that this is not an isolated moment of eating this book, but this comes from the Old Testament. I want to make a major, major point here today. We believe that God has called us to read the whole Bible from Genesis in the first book to Revelation where we are in the last book. You know, the Bible is not old country buffet or golden corral. They never tasted good anyways. You don't just pick and choose what you like. You know, the, you know, Rochester has a ton of nice restaurants, whether it's Char, Nosh, or Black and Blue. When when that food is handed to you, like I didn't, before I moved to Rochester, I didn't know what a palate cleanser was. So that's what the Bible is to us, is that in reading the whole book, it's not that it's always this amazing revelation, but the Bible consumes us. It's not picking and choosing the verses that you like. It's about putting it all together in one story, that takes people to Jesus. I love the way that Scott McKnight, who's a commentator, says it. He says it this way, God did not give us the Bible so we could master him or it. God gave the Bible so we could live it, so we could be mastered by it. The moment we think we've mastered it, we failed to be readers of the Bible. Hey, I hope some of you here, I hope you get your master of divinity. Maybe some of you here, you get a doctorate of ministry, whatever the degrees are. But we're not here to help you become... Bible readers so that you can just check the box and so that the Bible is just, it's a bunch of knowledge. No, the Bible is meant to transform you. It's supposed to consume you. It's supposed to unsettle you, but also consume you. Hey, do I have the right motives? Am I thinking about this right? Am I seeing God's clearly? Am I hearing God's presence? The Bible is meant to master you. i want to get super practical. Does the Bible filter how you engage fox news cnn msnbc cnn or cnn cns nbc ap news podcast youtube videos or does fox news cnn cns nbc whatever nbc ap news podcast youtube videos does that filter the way you read the bible For some of you here, maybe your New Year's resolution is actually to go cold turkey on some of those things. But for the majority of you here, I'm not asking you to give up your news source. I'm just asking you that before you turn on the television or open your email or begin to scroll, that you allow the Bible to get the first crack at your perspective, that you allow the Bible to be the first word. When we talk about the Bible consuming us, it's teaching us how to navigate this world. If it's true in Revelation, which we wholeheartedly believe it is, that God wins in the end, it changes the way that we live. And so we need that perspective. So how is God's word consuming you? How is God's word changing the way you see people, especially the people you don't like? How is God's word changing the way you live? How's it changing your schedule? How's it changing your bank account? How's it changing all those different things? I guess we can get an amen for that. Go ahead. Amen. (laughs) It's sobering. And I don't come at you today as someone that's mastered it. I'm still being mastered by God's word. Number one, God's word unsettles us. Number two, God's word consumes us. And lastly, God's word speaks through us. As I mentioned, Revelation was written to a group of churches. And in many ways, what John is trying to do is give a vision for the future that says, hey, this is the reality of the way that you're called to live. And again, we wrestle with this. We wrestle with the fact that in the kingdom of God, that there's grace and there's mercy and there's the good news of the gospel. But ultimately we live in a broken and sinful world that someday in Revelation 21 and 22, there will be a new heaven and there'll be a new earth, but there's judgment in between then. And like I said, the kindness of God that leads to repentance as we begin to read this, that God will wipe away every single tear, that God will set the record straight, that God will exact, Judgment in a world, and we don't say that as someone that that is pompous or prideful. We say that sobering because we realize, as followers of Jesus, we haven't seen it. And I think the call of this passage is to be a church in this world, starting with individuals. Seven different times in the Book of Revelation, in this last verse, Revelation ten eleven. Then I was told, "You must prophesy again about many peoples, nation, languages, and things. Seven times. Seven times there's a reference to all nations, all tribes, some sort of of calling for that. Can you imagine a church that lived out God's word in such a powerful way? Can you imagine a church of individuals that living out the calling of God, living out the word of God with grace, love, and truth, with, with justice and all of these things that God has called us to live? What John is saying, John now has, has the sweetness of God's word, but the bitterness of going to a world and prophesying and saying that, and we too are called to live out God's word in the world in beautiful and uncomfortable ways. To the people we agree with to the people we disagree with god's word was meant to speak through you now does that mean on tuesday when you go back to your job at paychecks that you're going to be quoting scripture maybe but more often than not i think what god's calling you to do is to live this out when we think of all nations and tribe i want you to get this picture because it's so powerful You know, when we're with God and we're praising Jesus around the throne where the lamb that was slain, there are going to be people from different times, whether it's the Renaissance, whether it's ancient times. There's going to be people from Japan and Africa. There's going to be people from all over doing one thing, worshiping Jesus. That's not a future thing, that's something that we're called to live right now. And the most powerful, beautiful message of the gospel in a world that's polarized, in a world that we disagree with each other, in a world that we go to our own tribes, is when you live out the gospel in powerful ways of loving other people. Dr. Derwin Gray in the Multi-Ethnic Church, uh, he said this, In an increasingly skeptical, cynical, post-Christian America, people are looking for something beautiful. They're looking beyond the status quo. In America, we've proven we can grow big, homogenous churches, but we haven't proved we can show America how love, reconciliation, and unity look. There are glimmers of this beauty, but not enough. The bride of Christ is called to be beautiful, and her beauty, which is the mystery of Christ, is to be displayed in high definition when a mosaic of multicolored, multi-class, multi multigenerational people learn to love each other as God so loved them. That's what America and the world needs. Sweet as honey, bitter in our stomachs. When God's Word unsettles you, when god word when God's Word consumes you, you begin to live in this world knowing, hey, I know the end of the story, and I know that part of what God's called us to do is to live now. We are called to love our enemies, whether they're the ones that voted with us or voted against us. We're called to love people, whether they're from the same socioeconomic background or different, whether if they're from different races. The beauty of the gospel and the beauty of this passage and the way that it closes is God's word is not so that you can check a box. It's not so that you can um, so that you can say, I know all of this, but God's word is meant to change your your life. I don't know how else to say it. And in the book of Revelation, the reason why it's so powerful is that invitation, that invitation. So many people will reject it, but you, you are called to receive it. You know, there's an old church adage that, that sin will keep you from your Bible and the Bible will keep you from sinning. You know, God's not standing with a finger angry at you. God's not standing. The reason we talk about Bible reading is, is what we want for you. Imagine a church that lived out this passage so powerfully. Imagine a church of individuals trying to wrestle with what God is doing with their heart, soul, and minds. I love the way Nina talked about it. Yeah, we make resolutions for losing weight, to going to the gym more, to managing our time better. But imagine if, as a keystone habit, if we focused on God's word actually changing our lives, imagine what next steps we would take. In light of this picture, in light of eating this book, how can you apply this passage today for 2024? I want to leave you with two questions. Two questions. First question is this. What are you going to read in the Bible in 2024? said this way, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. I think God is challenging you. I think as a church, we want to challenge you to be strategic and to think about, hey, where's God asking me to land in reading scripture? The second question is this, who are you reading scripture with? I hope if you've learned about anything in this passage, that we need to normalize wrestling and talking about God's word with each other, this is not a solo endeavor. When we talk about small groups and rooted, these are places where you can talk about God's word. You know, my wife, she asked me, she's like, can we do YouVersion plans this year? And just, you know, Uversion has made it so, so simple. All you do is you set up a plan and you can even just chat every single day. I got a chat this morning from her. You know, for some of you, you might be old school. You might actually want to get on the phone, you know, with your rotary phone and call people. That's okay. <laughs> However you want to do it. We're okay. The point is, we want you talking about scripture. I, I know that tons of you, you're going to go in the lobby and you're going to talk about how you hope the bills throttle the Patriots so they can get to the championship. And I'm going to pray for, oh yeah, there we go. I'm going to pray for a miracle healing for Aaron Rodgers and his Achilles or whatever. If we have time to talk about that, don't we have time to talk about God's word? No. I'm still a Jets fan, but anyways. For some of you, you know, you're asking, what should I read? And you've never read the Bible through. I just wanna walk you through three phases of reading the Bible. So the first place is this. If you've never read the Bible before in your life, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called the Gospels. They're called the biographies of Jesus. Why do you start there? Because when you can begin to recognize and see Jesus, Genesis points to Jesus, the first book of the Bible. Revelations points back to Jesus. And so it's kind of odd, you know, hey, You want me to read the middle of the book first? Yeah, because when you begin to understand Jesus, the rest of the scriptures come alive in powerful ways. The next step is reading the Bible in two years. You know, maybe it's just making that commitment. Reading the Bible in two years, it's two chapters. I listen to the Bible audio, you know, through audio through version. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes a day. You can engage it and journal it. And for some of you, maybe the step this year is actually to read the Bible in a year. Now, I want to kind of talk with all of you about this because some of you, like, this is like brand new. Others of you, you're like, same old song and dance. You know, I, I have a friend in my small group. You know, she's probably read through the Bible a couple hundreds of times. And this year, what she did was she felt God leading her There's a podcaster, Annie Downs, that read through the gospel each and every month of the year in different versions. That's where she felt like God was leading her. I have another friend, his routine is some years he reads the Bible in a year, some years he reads a different plan. Why am I telling you all this? We believe the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And some of you, if you're scared and the challenge of reading the whole Bible, maybe that's what God's calling for you. Maybe for some of you, you know, it's actually... It's not about checking the box for the Bible plan. It's not about, as John Amayo says, winning the toaster that we read all of this. No, like what it's about is maybe God's actually asking you to slow down. I'm telling you all this because we have people from different spiritual backgrounds here. We want to account for that. As we close, I want to just give you a few moments to reflect. And so there's two things I want to talk to you about. You can grab your phones. Um, if you go to browncroft.org connect— We have two different resources. The first resource is we have a Bible resource page. Most of what I've talked about resource-wise is there. It has the plans, it has all that. But the last thing is we feel that your Bible commitment is so important that we wanna give you time in this service to pray, ask God to seek you. But we also, we wanna know what God's calling you to read this year. Number one, we wanna pray for you. So when you fill out this Bible commitment card, you know, I've already looked through first services. I'm I'm praying for those individuals because we believe that God wants to do some radical things in your life. The second thing is, we want to know how we can support you. You know, if a ton of you are using different plans, we want to know where you're at spiritually. And number 3, because we value this, I think it's important for us to begin to share it. I think it's important for us to talk about it. So I want to give you about 2 or 3 minutes you take your phones if you want to pray. Maybe you want to save it for later. Where's God calling you to read? And before I do that, just I gotta I gotta tell you what God's telling me to do. So, my wife and I were gonna be doing a few plans, and we'll be talking about scripture. You know, I'm actually I've read through the Bible probably three times in the last six years. I did yearly plans before that. You know, I'm using uh, I'll be doing a, a program can't spit that out, called a common prayer daily, where I'll be in different verses and Bible throughout the year. And so I just want to be like, I'm trying to sense the Holy Spirit for my life of not checking the box, but really engaging, and letting God's word go deep. Why don't we take two minutes together and pray. And, uh, you know, if you feel confident where God's leading, you go ahead and fill it out. If not, maybe just take a moment to pray. Some of you here, um, you might want to spend a little bit more time. There's no rush. So I'm going to give a formal dismissal and um, I'm going to pray over you. But I just ask that you, if some people are still here praying, feeling God's presence, that you would just walk out quietly. Um, If you want to stay and spend some more time, we want to give you that gift as we frame this new year. So. Uh, As everyone's sitting down, if you feel comfortable, you can lift your hands. I want to just pray a blessing over you for today and the rest of 2024. May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the empowerment and encouragement of the Holy Spirit be with you. May 2024, may you be rooted in God's word. May it richly dwell within you may it unsettle you in places where you need to be unsettled may it consume you in your conversations and the way that you live and ultimately may you speak it in the way that you live in your word in your speech Lord we don't know what the 2024 holds but we know who holds 2024 so we commit this time to you we commit this year to you and we ask to hear from you in your word pray this all in your name, the resurrection and life. Amen.